Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. <laughs> Welcome back. What? <laughs> I did one of these as I started. Oh. <laughs> I'm laughing too hard now. I can't do it. Doesn't that really feel necessary to you? <laughs> We're in the Midwest, so yes. Okay. I guess that's fair. It is just about bonfire season. It is. The beginning of bonfire season. For the boldest among us, it's definitely bonfire season. And I am bold. You are bold. I'm bold and I have a yard. Yes. I will have a new yard next week. And this is my last episode recorded in my house in South Bend. Oh, no. When should we do to commemorate it? Uh, Well, I'm going to be telling a tale of country life today. So maybe that is kind of a commemoration. But it's sad. It's bittersweet. But one thing that will be nice is that in the new house, I can set up a podcasting space because right now just to build the picture for our lovely audience Mick is in like a beautiful office she has like this great backdrop with all of her books and her fancy wonderful stuff I am currently sitting on the floor of my living room and all of my podcasting equipment is seated atop my child's Mickey Mouse table (laughs) because this is where I am (laughs) so we just don't have enough space in this house for me to have a pod space, and we'll get that in the next house, so that's really nice. That's nice. My yeah. pod space doubles as my actual work office, and I am required to have my degrees and whatnot in the background. Are you really? Yes. That's interesting, because I was like, that's not really like on brand for you to display that, but I was like, okay, like do you, you know? No. Well, <sighs> telehealth guidelines are in. Eh. But no, in uh, in this state, you are required to have your license on display. Mm. And it's just traditional practice to have your license and your degree together displayed. Just like kind of like when you go get your hair done, your guy has his license on display. Mm-hmm. So you know he's legit. Yeah, I know Clint is so. legit. Too legit to quit. Yeah. But yeah, no. And then the, the rest is just my, my books and my tchotchkes. Mm. So cute. So Which soon that'll be me. Yeah, you have books and tchotchkes behind you, so. I do, and many degrees. Yay! I'll display them so that everyone knows that I wasted two years of my life getting a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. (laughs) It's not wasted. Look where it got you. That's true. I do write a mean podcast episode, so. You do write a mean podcast. We should be (laughs) famous because you write such good podcast episodes. Maybe we'll get a Pulitzer someday. Who knows? Probably. We should probably find something cooler to to dig into. Yeah, Skid Wretched, maybe. Skid Wretched. Oh, yeah, guys, we're going to do a Skid Wretched. Mm-hmm. Just wait for it. Yeah. Do you have any updates before I get started? Mm. My dog's on Prozac. Yeah. That's is. that's my only update. And he's going to be awesome. He is. He is going to join the many, many, many Americans that are doing awesome on Prozac. Heck, yeah. I'm glad that me and your dog are in Club SSRI together. <laughs> We can just vibe. (laughs) Y'all send Murder Beagle good vibes because he's on the struggle bus. Yeah, poor buddy. That's my only update. (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't think I have any other ones, so I'm ready to to tell you this crazy story. I'm excited because you texted me and told me that this is basically a telenovela, but with the Amish people. Basically. So I want to talk a lot about, um, I want to build a lot of context around the Amish community because I feel like there's probably a lot of stereotyping and 
um, disambiguation that goes on kind of surrounding what Amish life is actually like. So, uh, but tell me what you know about Amish life. Um, there's a lot of Amish in Ohio, actually. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going today. Hey. Honestly, not that much outside of what I've seen in documentaries and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my high school physics teacher was previously Amish. That's about it. That's about all I got. No, he was Mennonite. I cor- That's a correction. He was Mennonite. Oh, okay, gotcha. A little bit different. That's basically all I know. Well, then prepare for me to nerd out hardcore because I yes. am a little bit obsessed with the Amish. I think that mm-hmm. it's just really interesting. And um, yeah, I just think it's fascinating. So I want to build some context because I think it's going to help this case make a little bit more sense. And the case is kind of salacious and has that like telenovela feel to it but there's also context that makes this case possible too you know what I mean (laughs) so I want to make sure we really understand that context and some of the like the belief systems going on here so I'm going to start with some numbers according to Amish studies at the Young Center in 2020 the Amish population in the Midwest was a lot actually it was 215,065 wow yeah. That's way bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, right? Well, I'm going to talk about some of the growth, too. So of that, um, a little bit more than 200,000, 64% of that population are concentrated in our two great states of Ohio and Indiana. Yay! One thing that I think is really interesting that is that they have actually seen steady population growth, not decline over the decades. Interesting. Yeah, and I thought that that was interesting to point out because I feel like there's probably an assumption that they're kind of like a dying community, mm-hmm. but that's really not the case. So, for example, the same study that I just cited in 92 had only 34,830 Amish in Ohio, uh, which today has a population of 78,000. So there's just a big, big, big growth, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So like I said, the largest concentrations of Amish are in Ohio and Indiana, and Uh, In Ohio, that's Holmes County and the surrounding area has the biggest population, Mm -hmm. um, which is in the northeast part of the state. So we're kind of going back to that area that we were a couple weeks ago for Ashland. Mm -hmm. And then in Indiana, it's uh, right here in Elkhart County, which is the county next door to mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course. Oh, you would live this close to Amish country, wouldn't you? Yeah. Murder Husband was just telling me about how when he was growing up, there was this guy that was committing all these hate crimes against the Amish, like in his town. Oh, wow. And they nicknamed him the Amo Basher. And he would just go around, like, slinging baseball bats at Amish people. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, so there's there's a huge Amish population around here. Wonderful grocery stores. And, man, there's this great restaurant that I, like, found my way in when I was on, like, a I'm depressed country drive a couple years ago. I know um, those. <laughs> yeah, right. With my then one-year-old, I think. She maybe was like 18 months old or something. And we found ourselves at this like Amish restaurant. And, and I, I don't even know where it was. Like I could not find it again probably. But we had a very delicious lunch that day. Yum. Yeah, that was a good day. So, okay. So probably our general understanding of Amish life is based around like simplicity and conservatism, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to do like an entirely comprehensive history or anything like that, but I'm going to do a little bit comprehensive because I'm a geek. A little little, tiny comprehension. Yeah, it's a baby comprehensive study. 
So um, I want to talk a little bit about just how the Amish came to be. So the Amish faith comes from Anabaptism, uh, which basically sprung, sprung up during the Protestant Reformation, widely in German and Switzerland, which is where you get that language. Mm-hmm. And so basically they have like the baseline belief is that baptism is only valid when people choose to be baptized. So you're not like technically born saved. You have to mm-hmm. kind of get saved through through the choice of baptism versus like baptism at birth or therein in other Christian faiths like Catholicism, right? Yep. So in 1693, this dude named Jacob Ammon led the schism of many Swiss Anabaptists into a much more conservative type of faith. Some might say punishing. That's the word that I kind of jotted down when looking through some of his beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his whole thing was kind of built around this rejection of the idea of the quote-unquote good-hearted being able to reach any kind of redemption. Okay. And so like what he meant by that was like in some Anabaptist circles that were less conservative, people who lived in like a Christ-like manner and who empathized with the faith could still reach heaven. Mm-hmm. And those people were called the good-hearted. So if you're a good-hearted person, oh, whether okay. or not you're Anabaptist, you're still going to go to heaven. Oh, um, okay. I like that. Yeah, that's like pretty chill. So for Ammon, this was just like ridiculous to him. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. The only way to heaven is through like a direct profession of one's faith through both baptism, baptism, words are hard, and just like a strict adherence to the lifestyle um, mm-hmm. that he prescribed. His prescribed lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what that lifestyle was like when he kind of formed the Amish church, hint, hint, his name was Ammon, Amish. <gasps> Right? I literally never put that together. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no, because as you were saying, and I was like, oh, like Eamon Bundy, like that crazy guy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. uh, so yeah. Yeah. That's how it all comes together. So uh, for him, like you get the basic tenets of the Amish faith as we know it today. And it has in many ways remained like largely unchanged. So there's obviously a strict adherence to Christianity. The Bible is extremely important simple dress which is how we get to like the image that we probably all have in our heads when it comes to the mm-hmm. amish pacifism or nonviolence, family as a centerpiece of one's life and a rejection of modern convenience or technology okay so but i want to make sure that we note that contrary to popular belief there isn't like one like way to be amish there yeah. are many many different sects within the amish just like um, with any religion yeah exactly and kind of within that like kind of set of sects there is a spectrum of conservatism that shifts that's so crazy to like break down that spectrum of conservatism into like even smaller further chunks <laughs> yeah yeah it's really really interesting and i got like really rabbit holy <laughs> about it and i was like okay so when where, which Amish would I have to be in where I'm allowed to use a washing machine, but not a tractor? <laughs> but that's like, that's how these things get broken down. Like, it's kind of wow. that, in some ways, it's like that micro, you know? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the, the most conservative communities will reject, like, any and all convenience technology, but most do allow some. Mm-hmm. So, like, altogether, there's no electricity in homes. 
mm-hmm. but most homes have modern plumbing, for example. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's like a sanitation thing. So good on you. Yeah. It's for everyone's yeah. well-being that we have, you know, modern plumbing. And uh, 97% of Amish homes contain motorized washing machines. That's not the same thing as like your Whirlpool washing machine, but it is a mechanized washing machine. So we're not like little ladies with like washboards, like washing everything. They, ha- <laughs> they do have like the ability to use a machine and 90%, 97% of households are permitted to have that machine in their house. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How did they run it without electricity? When I was Googling them, it looked like there was kind of like a gear shift. Like you would like turn it and turn it and turn it. And <laughs> okay. Or like sometimes you'd like pull like, you know how you pull a, like a lawnmower to get it going? Yeah. Kind of yeah. like pull it and like brr, brr, and then it will start going. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. <laughs> like I'm makes just, sense, right? I'm so interested in like the little workarounds that they're yeah, like. Yeah, me too. Well, let's just. But can we squeeze in this appliance? Yeah, it's really interesting. I got like, I think so much of this is really interesting. Like there are some sects that do not allow the use of pressurized lamps and some that do where like the lamps can stay lit for longer with some kind of pressure system. Oh, okay. Yeah. But for some people that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like put on the brakes. Okay. Whoa. But where the line is drawn, like the the harshest is when it comes to work like farm mm-hmm. work so there is like little to no convenience allowed in that arena for example like only six percent of amish farms have tractors okay so the workarounds are easier to come by like in the home mm-hmm. than they are at work yeah interesting Why? yeah yeah it is interesting i mean it was like a whole other deep dive that I didn't have enough time for, but my understanding <laughs> is that like work should be the most honest thing that you do, like the most pure and honest thing that you do. And this is like the way to kind of keep it pure and honest. I sense a little patriarchy behind that and saying that cleaning clothes isn't pure work. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am about to talk about patriarchy right now. Yes. Okay. It's almost like we share a brain. I know, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so speaking of the patriarchy. An alternate title for this Pretty much, <laughs> a.k.a. speaking of the patriarchy. So how this kind of like bubbles out into family life and kind of like the culture of everything. So church is kind of the centerpiece of, of life. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that there are not actually very many, if any, like Amish church buildings. Most communities will rotate their services to different people's houses. Oh, okay. Or like their barns if it's like a bigger community. Mm-hmm. So in Amish communities and Amish families, God is the head of everything. Mm-hmm. And man is the head of the family, right? Mm-hmm. So men are obviously in charge, making all the decisions. Although when it comes to marriage dynamics, which we'll talk about later – that does kind of get loosened up for most people. But, you know, the man is the spokesperson for your family. They're the one mm-hmm. who, even if the decision in private was a mutual decision, that's not how it's going to get communicated to everybody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, some of the terminology I'll use a lot this episode, uh, Amish refer to themselves as plain mm-hmm. and the rest of us as the English. So we are the English and they are the plain. You might know their kids are in school f- up until the age of 13 or 14. Yes, I did know that. Yeah. So the equivalent of eighth grade, basically, mm-hmm. and don't receive further education. Although 
most communities will send a small number of women to nursing school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they can come back and work as midwives in the community. That makes sense. Yeah. Nursing school today is so, like, there's so much technology behind it that I I just imagine that culture shock. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. Yeah. It'd be pretty intense. And so it makes me wonder, like, like, okay, so around here, Goshen College in Goshen, Indiana, like, I wonder if they have some concessions for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, here's the nursing program kind of for the Amish. I'll have to Google that a little bit. How do you become a midwife? Because that's like a different... Some some midwives are nurses, but not all nurses are midwives. Yeah. Correct. So the very best of midwives, like the most qualified ones, are certified nurse midwives, which mm-hmm. means that there are nurses that have to go to extra school to also be certified as midwives. Mm-hmm. But you can also be a midwife without doing the full certified nurse midwife route. But you're not going to get like a ton of work in mm-hmm. the general community. But I'd imagine in the Amish community, it's probably good enough. Okay. Yeah. That's my understanding. My rudimentary understanding. So obviously, this is a true crime show. So we have to talk about crime amongst the Yay! Amish. Okay. So crime rates that we are aware of are exceptionally low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we are aware of. Exactly. Murder is extremely rare amongst the Amish. But what isn't necessarily rare, it's just not discussed, are pretty high mm-hmm. rates of domestic abuse, rape, sexual assault, and child abuse. Yeah, just um, like the rest of the country. Basically, yeah. And animal abuse, which mm-hmm. if you ask people around here, like one of the stables I used to ride at, the girl would um, sometimes adopt well, purchase Amish horses and, like, completely rehabilitate them because they were, mm-hmm. like, so scared. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would say that they're abusive to those horses, but the pushback would be, like, this is just how our culture does this, you know? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little wonky. A I feel like wonky. that gets pulled a lot for, like, domestic violence and child mm-hmm. abuse as well. Yeah, so. like, this is just how we do things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, is that we just don't know how precisely how high those rates are, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's this mentality that what happens within the community is just dealt with in the community. And so because of that, we have what I'm calling the Amish wall of silence. Yes. That like just what happens with the Amish stays with the Amish, especially, especially, especially if it would be something that's against scripture. Question. Answer. So... I'm kind of like thinking about how when we covered Pretty Bird Woman and the Native American reservations had like their whole own legal system and all of that. Mm -hmm. I never thought about how does that work with like Amish communities? Interestingly, it does. So where the buck stops is that if those crimes don't get reported outside of the Amish community, we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. So... You know, these cases of, like, sexual assault and abuse and, and child abuse and stuff like that. Nine times out of ten, we really only know that because of people who left the communities and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. because of legal pursuit. That sounds like kind of how it is, like, in any more insular community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. When it does happen, like in this case and, and others, what I've kind of read a couple of times is that, like, sometimes what the Amish don't understand when they're going through litigation on the outside is the the need for lawyers because Mm -hmm. 
for them, like culturally, once they kind of confess and admit to it and apologize and are forgiven, that's kind of it. Like there's not really a necessity for any kind of judiciary process after that, like within their own Mm -hmm. community. So um, I saw a couple of articles where people talked about how like lawyers representing Amish will have to like explain why Mm -hmm. have a lawyer, you know, because that's just not intuitive for them. Interesting. I'm sorry. I'll stop interrupting you and going on segues. Sorry. No, I like it. It's good questions. So that's the background I want to give. And there will be like some more background that kind of pops in, you know, here and there as we get underway with the case itself. But all that brings us to itty bitty little Apple Creek, Ohio. Apple Creek. Isn't that a cute name? I have to burp. Do they call it Apple Creek or Apple Creek? I imagine they call it Apple Creek. But I I can't go that far. (laughs) I'm Midwest, but I'm not that Midwest, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So good old Apple Creek is situated in Wayne County, Ohio. Yay. And so weirdly, and like I didn't plan it this way, but we're back, like I said before, in that northeast portion of the state, Mm -hmm. kind of southwest of Akron. So we're actually not far from Ashland, where we were a few weeks ago with Sean Gray. But now we're in a much different part of that little chunk of northeastern Ohio. Mm-hmm. So this is a very, very large Amish population in this area and also one of the most conservative in the Midwest. So most of the Amish in this particular area and all the people that we'll talk about today are members of what's called the Andy Weaver Order. And like I said, they are a particularly conservative sect of the Old Order Amish. Interesting. Okay. Amongst the Amish, though, they do boast the highest retention rate. So uh, are you familiar with Rumspringa? Yes. Okay. Very familiar. That's a, most of the documentaries I watched. I was on a kick on it a few yeah. years ago and watched mm-hmm. like every Rumspringa documentary I could Breaking get Breaking Amish, on. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So for those that don't know, quickly, Rumspringa is kind of a rite of passage where... Amish teenagers get to experience English life and then decide if they'll get baptized or not. That's obviously like a really rudimentary explanation, and we'll talk more about it later, actually. But in most communities, most kids come back. Mm -hmm. In the Andy Weaver order, 97% come back, which is the highest retention rate of all known Amish communities. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they also uh, forego even more technology than the average Amish order. One of the important pieces of technology in this particular story is like, okay, so very conservative, like no help on the farms, like that kind of stuff. They had indoor plumbing, obviously, but very little in the way of household convenience as well. So basically for like any kind of communication with the outside world, what they would do is like set up little phone booths Mm -hmm. that would kind of serve a cluster of houses So it's like if there was one phone booth to serve the six blocks of my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So in case of emergency or like if we need something, we could go to the phone booth and and use that phone. Yeah. 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 So Apple Creek itself as a town is not really important because we're in the country here. (laughs) Sorry, Apple Creek. Yeah. Like it's really cute, but it's not really necessary just imagine lots of rolling hills lots of countryside lots of big beautiful white amish houses that just make me like oh i just love driving around and looking at them because they're just so beautiful (laughs) Mm. 
So pretty. So this is where we land ourselves in this case. Okay. I'm going to take us to 8 a.m. on the morning of June 2nd, 2009. Oh, wow. Recent. Okay. Yeah, quite recent. So you were like, oh, I bet I know which case it is. And I was like, nah, I bet you don't. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Because I know the one that I think you think it was. And yeah. I just ain't it. Yeah, because I, I think the one I thought it was was closer to Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you're, the one you're talking about <laughs> is, is really famous. Yeah, yeah. So on that morning at 8 a.m., 30-year-old Barbara Weaver's five children went into their mother's room to wake her because 8 a.m. is a pretty late start for the Amish. Mm-hmm. Especially Barbara, she really liked to get an early start so she could journal. Before her day got underway, she journaled every day. Mm-hmm. And they found their mother in her bed cold and drenched in blood so she had five kids and a few of their cousins were over for a sleepover so there was like seven to eight kids in the house at this moment oh wow yeah and all of her kids all five of her kids were nine or under so we're talking some really little kids here she also had a a new baby so they all kind of gathered around her like tugging at her legs trying to open her eyes and then one of the kids pulled back the blanket that was on her uh, which revealed a very very large gaping wound in her chest it would be clear to any adult that she was dead but of course these are little kids so their father wasn't home his name is eli weaver he was on a fishing trip on lake erie Um, so the older kids didn't have their father to go run to so the oldest son ran to a neighbor's house and got their neighbor to come over who came over and obviously kind of knew what she was looking at. Mm-hmm. It was very apparent, like I said, that she was dead. And when ambulances finally got there and police got there, she was pronounced dead on the scene. And the cause of death, and we'll talk a little bit more detail later, was a single close-range gunshot to her chest. You might be wondering how there could have been a gunshot mm-hmm. That nobody noticed. I mean, little kids are little kids, but that's still a really loud noise. Apparently, it had been, like, raining and storming that night. So the kids all Mm -hmm. thought it was just a particularly strong clap of thunder and went to bed. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So, like, a couple of the older kids, like, remembered hearing the sound and just went back to bed. Mm Mm-hmm. So... What's really kind of sad about this case, or I guess kind of bittersweet, is the Amish don't believe in photography. Mm -hmm. So there are no pictures of Barbara Weaver. We only have some description of her from, you know, friends and family and stuff. Yeah. The only pictures of her that have ever existed are her autopsy photos, which is... Oh, wow. Ooh, I got goosebumps just saying that. Yeah, that's... Oof. Pretty incredible, right? But by all accounts, she was lovely and beautiful. Had dark blonde hair and lots of freckles. Uh, She was tall and sturdy and just a happy-seeming person. She had, by all accounts, a pretty perfect Amish life. She had five adorable kids. She had a husband. She had a large farm. uh, And she was very devout to her faith. Her husband ran a successful business, which was called Maysville Outfitters, which basically sold hunting and fishing supplies. So money was good. Mm -hmm. Um, Life was good. Or so it seemed. It always just seems, isn't it? It is. As we always know, we or we come to find out at least, like there's always a lot more simmering under the surface of these situations than what meets the eye. Which is why whenever someone talks about like, oh, I never saw this coming, or I never thought that this type of person could do that, it's like, well, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. You know? Nope. Nope. 
you never do. And that was the case in this case as well. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Barbara Weaver and her husband Eli, you know, they lived the quiet life of the Amish, right? And of course, it was not only quiet, but also very, very private. So mm-hmm. when she was found dead and, you know, police were called and came out, one of the first people that they needed to talk to was her sister. Her name was Fanny Troyer. Mm-hmm. And Fanny was like, Barbara's one and only real confidant. So if anyone would know, like, how we got here, it would probably be Fanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said that she described a, a couple of things. And the first thing that she kind of described as kind of a, I would say, a crossroads in her, in Barbara's life was that going back to Rumspringa. So mm-hmm. when Barbara went through Rumspringa, she did it pretty chill because she was a pretty chill person. <laughs> She was just like really steady. Hers was really tame. She had sleepovers with friends. She read magazines and babysitter clubs books. Scandalous. I know. And there was like no doubt whatsoever that she would return to Amish life. But it always goes back to Rumspringa. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> so I feel like though like Rumspringa can probably tell you a lot about a person. Mm-hmm. Like I get annoyed a little bit because Rumspringa is like the only thing anyone knows about the Amish. But mm-hmm. it's because that's the time that we have access to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But I do feel like it it obviously signifies a turning point in a lot of people's lives, you know? Mm-hmm. It's also, it's like the drama of the Amish amongst yeah. a culture that is otherwise seemingly lacking yeah. drama. I think yeah, our, exactly. our perspective is like, ooh, naughty rumspringer. Yeah, right? And it's kind of kind of got like this like sexy sort of thing to it you know but i think the reality is that like most people probably rumspringa a a lot like barbara did yeah and like you see it around here especially in the smaller towns you'll see amish teenagers like going out for a pizza you know that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff but they're not like snorting lines of coke in the bathroom you know what i mean that is not what breaking amish told me (laughs) i know it's not (laughs) you and my mom should talk about that she's a huge fan too when i can see your mom again i know right so she um, obviously returned to the church, and not long after that, she married Eli Weaver. So Eli, his rumspringa was a little bit different. He um, he was straight vibing on his rumspringa. He was partying <laughs> hard. He was just like he loved it. <laughs> but he also decided to come back to the Amish afterward. But that would kind of like signify, in many ways, their relationship. Like Barbara was really chill and kind of traditional Mm -hmm. not shy but not particularly like woohoo you know she's not a woo girl um (laughs) (laughs) eli was a woo boy he was a woo boy he definitely was like kind of cheeky and like really social hardworking, kind of goofy like people would describe him as kind of goofy for lack of a better word so uh, in some ways that seems like kind of a perfect match right like you get the steady steady one and then you got your little your woo one it works in my relationship (laughs) your woo and your (laughs) anti-woo i don't know if i would say anti so much as counter woo a woo a (laughs) there you go i like that one so um barbara loved amish life Mm mm-hmm She wanted nothing more, according to Fanny, than to take care of her children and really nurture them and tend to the household and um, 
And that was all kind of part of the wifely duties, um, as well as kind of being like the social correspondent for your family. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you'd be like, you know, baking the holiday meals, like for the community, that kind of stuff. And Barbara relished most of that. What she did not love uh, was the patriarchal part of it. Because she was used to, like, there's this mentality that God is the head of the church and man is the head of the family. But she was also accustomed to seeing, like, Fanny's marriage and her parents' marriage where the women were equally involved in decisions related to the family, Mm -hmm. especially financial ones and ones related to the child-rearing. So I was really stunned by, like, you know, there's this great deal of opacity between the Amish and the English. Mm-hmm. But there's all this transparency within families. Yeah. So there's kind of like a weird little, I don't know, push-pull there. So when things really started to unravel, in large part, was when Barbara started to discover like unpaid bills in their house mm-hmm. and also found out that Eli had owned an entire printing business that she didn't even know about. What? Yeah. Eli. Yeah. And she was flabbergasted, just like you. And despite their financial success, like, they had money. Like, they were doing pretty well. Eli would withhold money from her, and she didn't have any access to any of their money. Mm, I don't like where this is going. Mm-mm, you shouldn't. So sometimes this went so far as, like, the kids being underfed because Eli would be gone so much and not leave Barbara any money, and then she would have to figure out how to feed several children yeah. With, like, little to no money. What the fuck? Yeah. I read about, like, one particularly upsetting day for her, wherein it was her turn to bring the pies for the after-church gathering, and she mm-hmm. didn't have enough money to get the ingredients for the pies and had to show up empty-handed, and she was just humiliated by that. Um, and it was because he didn't leave her any money. Well, I feel bad for Barbara. Yeah, me too. I want to backtrack a little bit because usually I take time at the beginning, but I was just so excited to talk (laughs) about um, sources. (laughs) So news media in general has been pretty generous on this case, but I got to do like a major shout out to this book, A Killing in Amish Country, Sex, Betrayal, and a Cold-Blooded Murder, which is by Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris. It is a very good book for a lot of these little kind of personal tidbits as well. I love those. I know. Me too. It just builds all the... It makes everything feel more real, you know? It does. And it really... You'll see later kind of how this goes down. But because she was Amish, like, it's not like Barbara Weaver had a social media presence that we could dig into or, you know, any of this stuff that tells us more about, like, her kind of as a person. And what made it into the news was all the aftermath, right? Yeah, Not necessarily about her. So I love that this book gave me access to like her journals so that I could feel Mm -hmm. like I knew her as a person you know that's really great of the family to be able to like to be willing to do that too yeah to release some of that stuff she's amazing you're probably not listening Fanny but shout out I doubt it but we love you anyway (laughs) so (laughs) so I feel like if there's one thing that's like a tale as old as freaking time it's the patriarchy patriarchy and what looks like an ideal marriage on the surface Mm-hmm. Not always as such at home. Nah, y'all. Mm-mm. Nah. So Barbara Weaver was faithfully married, but she was not happily married. Mm-hmm. And divorce is like a big time sin in Amish country. Yeah. 
So to say that she was even considering it a little bit, which she was, is like a big, big deal. That's a big, big deal. Yeah. Eek. Yeah. Interestingly, Eli Weaver was not thinking about divorce. Why would he be? Well, why would he be, right? He spent all of his time doing whatever the hell he wanted. I hate Eli Weaver. Oh, just wait. Just wait. So he ran a hunting and fishing supply store, and he was an avid outdoorsman. So he was always gone on these hunting trips and these fishing trips. But what he was actually doing was hooking up and shacking up with various English women. (sighs) Yeah. Eli. I know. He's, like, so gross. So um, when Barbara found that out the first time, she took the kids and moved back home to be closer to her sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that that, like, it felt like a really dramatic move. It was only 15 miles away. But Mm -hmm. by horse and buggy, it probably took a bit and felt like kind of a big deal. Like, it would be a different Mm -hmm. neighborhood, a different, like you know, community, all that stuff. So she wanted to be closer to her family, though, because obviously she was really going through something. Yeah. Um, You know, she was really upset because she couldn't convince Eli to go to any kind of counseling. And Barbara was, like, willing to go to an English marriage therapist to work on their marriage. Yeah. She really wanted to figure it out. And Eli wouldn't go. So what choice did she have but to just try to kind of hide out a little bit, you know? Yet another tale as old as time. Yeah, right. But you'll really like this. So Barbara couldn't get Eli to go to any kind of counseling, but she herself corresponded via letter with a therapist for herself. I Um, love that. I know. So she found a way. She knew, you know, despite being in this, like, cloistered community, she knew that what she needed, she wasn't necessarily going to find there, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even think of a therapist I know that would be willing to do that. Damn. Yeah. I mean, they corresponded back and forth and via I letter. I love that she cared enough. She valued this enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah. She really cared about herself and she cared about her family. The sad part to me was that she took on a lot of that fault herself. Like Eli's philandering, she blamed herself. She, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of her letters to her therapist say, like, I don't know why I'm not good enough, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which... Again, if that's not a universal language, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it reminds me of um, Daniel Tiger, who my toddler watches all the time. And there's a song on Daniel Tiger that goes, (laughs) in some ways we are different, but in so many ways we are the same. Thanks, Daniel Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the ways. Like, ah. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. So uh, I've been reading I spent way too much time yesterday reading about the Duggards. Oh gosh. Like an embarrassing amount of time reading about the Duggards yesterday. So yeah. Yeah, I saw some uh Twitter post or something where somebody had screenshotted like all the weird responses to that news about that Duggar that, you know, was into child pornography. And one of them was like, you know, we can't assume that that's really what it was. Maybe it was just like a child's first bath. And, you know, people will just take everything out of context. And it's like no one gets prosecuted for that. <laughs> like, 
Nobody gets prosecuted for that. The man has a track record. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is not his first go around. And I was mm-hmm. watching a video of somebody who used to be in that religious group slash cult, ATI, mm. talking about, like, all of the rules that women have to follow. Oh, that's interesting. In response to, like, why didn't his wife leave him? Well, it's way more complicated than you think. Yeah, it's just not that simple. It's really just not that simple. So it was it was just really, really interesting to me. But, mm. yeah, it, it major this case vibes. Yeah. I, um, I'll be curious what you make of kind of how it evolves, too. All right. Let's keep going. Yeah. So, of course, you know, the separation didn't last for very long. Eli came home and moved right back in with the family. Barbara wanted him back. So in a gesture to kind of, like, help their marriage, Eli's dad bought them a house and allowed them to rent it. And Barbara just thought that that would be kind of a fresh start for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't. It just meant that they it were kind of back is. in the same space. Yeah, right? Yeah. So the kind of like the key to this case in some ways is Mayville Outfitters, Eli's store. Mm-hmm. And basically, because that store served equally the English community as well as the Amish community, he still had plenty of access to the English world and its mm-hmm. women's. It's women's. It's all of its women's is. So I want to talk a little bit about Barbara's journals and her letters for a second, just to kind of continue building this picture, okay? Because I feel like we can probably tell a little bit where this case is going, but I promise you'll still be surprised, okay? Okay. So she writes, sometimes I already know the truth. Other times I find out the truth later. I ask him why he feels so bitter towards me. I don't know. I said I wished he would be honest with me. I'd like to know where he would like to see me improve. It makes me feel better to try and tell him how I feel, but it's so one-sided. Another entry. I feel like our intimate life is on hold and has been for so long that without counseling for us both, how can I ever heal, knowing his past adultery? I feel sometimes all he wants is his relief. Um, In, like, one particularly desperate letter, she even asked her counselor that she was corresponding with, if they thought that it was okay for her to engage in sex acts other than intercourse at Eli's request, even though her faith and her church told her not to, if it meant it could save her marriage. Mm-hmm. So she was definitely willing to, you know, do these things that would be against her faith set to do. Mm-hmm. You can tell how hard she's trying. Yeah. That's what I thought too, especially like knowing how faithful she was and how committed she was to her faith that she would be Mm -hmm. like okay can I set aside this particular part of it to maybe make him happy so that you know we can make this work somehow yeah yeah that's so sad I know and you know Eli didn't particularly help either because her journals would also talk about how and Fanny would talk about this too that Eli would be really nasty to her like, when he was mad at her, he would brag about how many girlfriends he could have if he wanted to. He could have anybody that he wanted. And, of course, that left Barbara just in a state of, like, always wondering, what's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough? Um, well, that was the point of him being such a dick. Exactly. Yeah, to make her feel that way. Mm-hmm. She would even write in her journal, just in these, like, moments of futility, he hates me. Oh, honey. Yeah. When I saw that, it just... so in 2006 barbara became pregnant with their fifth child 
And at that time, Eli was partially shacking up with one of his affair partners. God, what a piece of shit. I know. (laughs) And she loved being a mom, but Mm -hmm. her letters around this time revealed like exactly no excitement. Mm -hmm. But Eli, of course, came crawling back again. And he was just like immediately taking to like anyone that would listen, like bragging and boasting about how excited he was to have another baby. Almost like overcompensation. Yeah. So this cycle would basically continue over and over and over and over and over again until the morning that we found Barbara dead. Wow. So Barbara is just like helplessly fending for her children and for herself. Eli just in and out of the house all the time. You know, the kids growing up and life just moving forward on this really damaged path. Mm-hmm. Now, a-, a new feature would spring up in their house in this few years Mm -hmm. and it was eli's cell phone oh he's not allowed to have that no he sure is not Mm -hmm. he sure is not yep so again like not only are we amish here but this is like a very 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 conservative branch Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so him having a cell phone was definitely a big no-no but he had it and he used it. He used it a lot. Please tell me he had like an Ashley Madison account or something. <laughs> Close. He had <laughs> an account with a significantly stranger website. <laughs> well, uh-uh. I won't say stranger, but I was just like, what the heck is this? I'd never heard of it before. So I'm going to pull us back now with all that backstory. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to the time frame after the discovery of Barbara's body. Okay. Okay. So the other kind of really sad part about this case is that Eli's philandering was not exactly a secret Mm -hmm. in the community in general. Like, people knew about it, you know. So the deputy in town, his name was Alex Abel, his first line of inquiry was going to be to Eli's long, long, long list of ladies. Mm. So he first contacted Misty who was so all of these women i'm going to talk about are english none of them are amish yeah what's interesting about his relationship with misty is that so they had started up their relationship in 2006 we have no idea how eli got misty's phone number like we just don't know but out of the blue he just started to text her and they struck up like a friendly conversation and that would turn into a a long-term affair Mm -hmm. like they would have this routine where she would pick him up from the store, occasionally his house while Barbara was busy or like out and about with the kids. Trashy. I know, right? He was really like not really making any gesture towards hiding what he was up to. Apparently like, not. Jesus. Yeah. And if you look at like the Google Maps of everything, the store that he owned was like basically walking distance from his house. So... Mm-hmm. It's not like he was commuting to work and, like, doing stuff, you know, where he worked. Like, it was all very, very centralized. He sucks. I hate him so. God, he sucks. He really sucks. So, like I said, like, she would pick him up and they would go to, like, restaurants and hotels together. So they were, like, going out on dates and stuff. But because of the timing being right after work, Eli would just lie and say he was out fishing or working late or whatever. And I am sure that Barbara knew what was up yeah. the entire oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm certain of it. So they were carrying on this, like, 
normal affair, I guess, like as normal as an affair can get, up until two things happened. Mm-hmm. Eli would start to make some strange statements about what he would do if his wife died. Oh, that's always a good sign. Yeah, right? Like, that's not a red flag at all. So he would say, like, if she died, I would just leave Amish life forever and never look back. That kind of stuff. What um, about your kids, dude? Uh, ooh, I got some... Mm-mm. He says some... <laughs> <laughs> he that says was some, the most Detroit you have ever been in that moment. <laughs> he says some really upsetting things later that just, like... Oh, my God. <laughs> He's a, such a dirtbag. Uh, um... And here's another thing that dirt, it makes him so dirtbaggy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So several months into his relationship with Misty, Misty got pregnant. And do you know what he did? He told her to have an abortion. Not quite. No. But he, he dipped. Like He dipped. Of course he dipped. Yeah. Because what, what does Eli Weaver not want in this life? A tether, right? Like he doesn't want mm-hmm. to be tied down. So when she gets pregnant, he's like, okay, I guess this relationship is over then. Yeah. We have talked about a lot of horrible people. Mm-hmm. But this guy is pretty far up there. Yeah, he's like really, really terrible. He would write her a check every month for $350, but he never once met that child. <sighs> yeah. Never once. Never once. So the next woman that they would talk to is Tabitha. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should say that Misty didn't know anything about Barbara's murder, is what she told the Okay, boys. okay, yeah, yeah. So Tabitha would also say that she didn't know anything about the murder, but that she did describe having a pretty intense relationship with Eli, and their relationship was a little bit more like a friendship, but they did occasionally have sex. But, like, the Misty relationship was much more like an extramarital relationship. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And basically, she told the deputy that she didn't know anything, but she Mm -hmm. was lying. Okay. There's liars in this story? I know, right? So here's what she did know that she didn't share until later. She did eventually share this, but not at the time. Mm -hmm. So they had a pretty, like, normal friendship until he started to say things about wanting to murder his wife. Oh, yeah. Um, I would probably, yeah. Yeah. That might be the time I would end a friendship. Just dip. So he would talk about wanting to choke his wife. And at one point, he had even asked Tabitha, and there are text messages about this conversation, what she would do, like her advice about how to poison Barbara. What the fuck? Like how he got away with this conversation at all was that Eli had a real talent for portraying Barbara to be this like mean, horrible, like frigid wife. Yep. 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 That he just had to escape from, which had all of these girlfriends thinking like, oh, he's married. I know. But God, she's so terrible. It's just such a loveless relationship. And that's how it ended up being able to be kind of justified in their eyes, you know? Folks never believe those stories. I know. Never. Yeah. So basically, like, she never thought he would actually do it. Mm-hmm. Right. But as soon as the police left, she texted like all of her friends and was like, Eli killed his wife. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so um, she knew. Oh, yeah. She knew. Yeah. So I'm going to bring back a mid-wretched classic at this point. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about some online dating profiles. Yes. I miss doing these. I haven't done these in a while. I know. So I got a real 
he's a real online dater for you. So Eli had a number of affairs, and we don't know that exact number. I mean, yeah. ones I could track down were at least eight or nine, just from like my research, but that's what... How do people have the time for that? Oh, well, I'm sure there was some overlap, but that's the ones that I was able to find. Like, there could have been more. Um, sounds exhausting. So where do you think an Amish guy in Apple Creek, Ohio, is going to meet all these women to have affairs with? Please tell me it's like FarmersOnly.com or (laughs) something like that. I wish. Is it Plenty of Fish? Nope. It's Moco Space. Are you familiar with Moco Space? No. Me neither. I had to do some learning about it. I'm going to Google this. Moco Space? Okay. Tell me about it as I Google it. (laughs) Okay. So Moco Space is a social networking app, like a cell phone only app. And I had, like, literally never heard of it before. So uh, it does still exist. And at the time that Eli was using it, it had about 2 million registered users, which is not much compared to, like, other social media. But when you look at it, like, I downloaded the app for a hot second just to see what it would look like. It's basically, like, if old school Yahoo, what Yahoo looked like when we were in high school, had a baby with Tinder, that's Moco Space. I don't want to download it, but... I'm not allowed to see it unless I do. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you have to download it for science, and then you can delete it. Uh, oh, my God. This does look like a little 90s Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, like, there's, like, little games and stuff that you can play. You know, like, quick hit, meet people, flirt, like, have little messages and stuff like that going. This um, is so MySpace. Oh, my yeah. God. I know. Like, even the name is such a ripoff of that, right? Moco Space. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so, uh. All right, go um, ahead. Sorry, I'm done. No, it's okay. So if you see, if you download Moco Space and you see a person by the username Amish Stud, then you have come across Eli Weaver. Is his profile still up? No, it's not. But he does have a profile up on uh, writeaprisoner.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I'll talk about later. I guess the spoiler alert is that he ends up in jail. <laughs> so uh, the caption on his page was, who wants to do an Amish guy? <laughs> Are you collapsing? <laughs> I'm so collapsing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, okay. Keep going. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. So he would post, like, lots of saucy pictures. I'm, gonna I'm seeing them. You. Oh, oh, you I'm see him? Okay. I got him. <laughs> you don't give me a screen name like amish stud and i don't google it i know i know you're welcome Um. (laughs) i'm so glad i'm googling all this on my husband's work computer (laughs) yes he posted lots of saucy pictures and he made contact with a ton of women like literally tons of women so the first woman that he met off of moco that we know about was candy and their relationship was sexy online, but not really sexy in person. So they traded increasingly dirty pictures, escalating to the dick pic. At least he, like, took some time to escalate to a dick pic. Yeah, yeah. It was described as, like, a coy little smile here, a little flash of some torso there, a dick. <laughs> You know, as you do, right? Oh, God. So 
So they had this like saucy online relationship. When they met offline, there just, I guess, wasn't that chemistry. But they did meet up and they like walked around a park together one time. And Eli, in that one time meeting, told her about his terrible wife and how she was just like physically abusive towards him. But if he were to to divorce, that he would be shunned from the community and that he didn't want to be Amish anymore, but that if he was shunned, he wouldn't have access to his kids or his family Because his kids mean so much to him. I know, right? Obviously. So the next lady that he met was Sherry. Sherry found him on Moco Space. She was a single mom, kind of going through some stuff, and she would just kind of scroll Moco Space at night after her daughter went to bed, and she saw this guy, Amish Stud, and she was like, no way. And started to chit-chat him up. But obviously it was for real. And <laughs> Eli was legit Amish and legit looking to get done, as he says on his tagline. Looking to get done. Yep. So <laughs> thank you for echoing that. <laughs> this is a, definitely a really upsetting, serious case, but I'm glad there's a little bit of levity. Uh, um, I just, he himself is so ridiculous. He is. It's absurd, isn't it? Yes. The absurdity, I for me, really crescendos with his relationship with Sherry. So mm-hmm. their relationship started off just kind of purely this like flirtatious sexual thing, but ended up being one of his pretty long-term affairs. And their relationship hit really close to home because she would come to his store and like hang out all day, sometimes with her daughter, mm-hmm. other times alone, but she would just come and hang out. There was like a table and chairs outside. She would sit at the table and chairs. And when things were quiet, he would come out and talk to her and and chit chat and stuff like that. Other times she would come to the store and he would shut it down so that they could have sex in the store. What? Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty brazen. What's interesting about this affair is that it seems different from the other ones in the sense that it was like emotional and physical kind of right out of the gate. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also just kind of how brazen Eli was with this particular affair. And their rendezvous spot was his store. And they would have sex in the store. And like one time they were walked in on by an older man who reported to the bishop. Mm -hmm. But Eli never, there was no follow-up on that. Another time they were walked in on by one of Eli's own kids. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had to come up with, like, a quick story of, like, what they were. We were just wrestling or something like that, you know. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was a complete, like, extramarital affair. Kind of like his relationship with Misty, um, where Mm -hmm. they were definitely, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, companions, um, you know, when they could be, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Eli made the time for her. But over time, and they had, like, a really good time. Sherry would talk about how, like, goofy and silly he was and how... She never really liked brown-eyed guys, but for some reason, his eyes just, like, communicated to her soul, you know, and she just loved yeah, him sure. and everything. Yeah, okay. But it would feel to Sherry after a while that Eli was kind of leeching off of her. Like, to her understanding, the way that I understand Sherry was that she was like, we both know this is an affair. It's like, let's mm-hmm. have fun and do our thing. But we both know this is an affair and this is as far as this is ever going to get, you know. Okay. Okay. Uh, Eli, though, would start talking about like what life would be like without his wife and kids, that he wanted to try to leave and find a job in the English world 
And that all those conversations ended up kind of spinning back to like what a terrible wife Barbara was. Mm -hmm. And he just wanted to be free of her. And when he would kind of talk about like what would happen if she died or what would happen if like the house blew up, he would say that, well, if the children died, they would just go to heaven automatically because they're innocents. So he wasn't worried about what happened to his children. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So he's really gross. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, again, like, it's all really close to home. Like, one time Sherry even actually saw Barbara at the store, and that made her feel some guilt. Good. And so after she saw Barbara, she started to feel some guilt, like I said, and she tried to break off their relationship, kind of severing it away from kind of the boyfriend-girlfriendy stuff into just being sexual, like, kind of friends with benefits sort of situation. But she was trying to put the kibosh (laughs) on, like, the romance end of it. Okay. I'm like, okay, good luck, Sherry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right? Like, that. that's not going to work out the way you think it is. Exactly. It's like, I'm not willing to totally break it off. I don't feel that bad. But yeah. I feel a little bad, so we'll just do the sex part. Right. Exactly. I mean, he is a stud. So it didn't really work, though, obviously. And all in all, they saw each other for a little over a year. And towards the end of it, he would ask her to, like, hook him up with jobs so that he could get out. And he would just be like, oh, I'm going to leave soon. I just can't take it anymore. I hate it so much. And Sherry would be like, dude, you chose this. Mm-hmm. You you did your baptism. You went through Rumspringa. You knew what you were doing. And she's like, you, you just have to buck up and, like, deal with the choices that you made, you know? Or, like, and... If you want to leave, then leave. But do it in a legit way. You don't have exactly. to kill your wife exactly and he's like well it was all expected of me and sherry kind of was like well you know what i have plenty of expectations on me too but i deal with my stuff and that this type of conversation is what led her to just break it off entirely like she was just done all right done yeah good he would still text her periodically like kind of like simpering like gross little texts like he would send her a picture of the table and chairs outside the store and be like one thing is missing it's you barf he actually sent her a text like that two weeks before barbara weaver was shot dead god i hate him so much yeah that's sherry right and when the rumor mill kind of got around to her and she learned that barbara had been killed she just knew in her gut she described this like tingling feeling in her scalp and she called the police good 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 yeah right and she was like no sherry doesn't mess around like (laughs) she doesn't She's not the most honest woman we've come across, but... (laughs) Yeah, but in some ways, I don't know, like, there's, I think, this philosophy for some people that, like, when it comes to affairs, I think some people see it as, like, it's on both parties, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the person having the affair and the affair partner, Mm -hmm. and other people think, like, that's not my problem. Like, you're the one having an affair. That doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. And I think that Sherry was definitely in that latter camp, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. sounds like it. So when she went to the police, the police asked her to call Eli so that they could record the conversation, hoping to get something out of it. Now, the problem that we established in the beginning was that when all this went down, when the actual shooting happened, Eli was on a fishing trip at Lake Mm -hmm. Erie with a couple of other dudes. So he wasn't by himself. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of phone tag. And by the time Eli called her back... He just said, somebody shot my wife. I'll call you later. In this really nonchalant way. 
So Sherry's like, that's not right. So then somebody else came forward. And that somebody else was Tabitha, the other old girlfriend we talked about. All right. All right. So if Eli wasn't at the house to commit the shooting, then how did the shooting occur? Good question. So Tabitha, she had a cell phone from Eli, right? He had given her a cell phone because she lost hers or was out of service or whatever. But the real owner of the phone was this woman, Barb Raber. The two women had never actually met in person, but Barb Raber had given Eli Weaver her phone, and Eli gave it to Tabitha when her phone was no longer in service. Because it was Barbara's phone, and I think like on Barbara's, Barbara Raber's plan, mm-hmm. they would text like occasionally, I assume to like, you know, Tabitha, can you send me 40 bucks for your bill or whatever. Weird. Oh, right. Yeah, but they all like knew each other in this like, web of northeastern ohio craziness (laughs) all ohioans know each other yeah right (laughs) so she texted barb raber about it and barb raber replied somebody broke into eli and barbara's house and shot his wife with a 410 gauge shotgun what are your thoughts on that had it been released that it was a 410 gauge shotgun no oh it had not Oh, okay then. Yep. Well, then I have some questions about how she knew that. Exactly. (laughs) So let me pause because the rest of my notes are on my phone. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. So who is Barb Raber, you might be asking, right? Yes. Barb Raber was a former Amish woman who left the Amish during her own rumspringa. And Mm -hmm. was living as a Mennonite instead. She was married to a guy named Eddie Raber. And I didn't realize that this was like kind of a common way to make money as a non-Amish person in a heavily Amish area. To basically be like Amish Uber. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. So a murder husband was telling me that one of his friends in high school, his dad, made all of his money by being an Amish cab driver, basically. Mm -hmm. So... There was just like a couple of people around that you could call and they'd give you a lift, you know, wherever you needed to go. So Barb Braber was one of those people. She made money by being an Amish taxi driver, basically. So she was crazy in love with Eli Weaver. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Eli was one of her customers and had been for years and years and years and years and years. So the fact that she knew about the gun made Tabitha very very wary and that was something that she could not get out of her head so Mm -hmm. she turned that text message over to the police and that is when everything just kind of unfurled from there Hell yes how this case ended up being built was basically completely on almost completely i should say on computer forensics because that's so cool because it's an amish case i know right like there's a really cool irony in there so like the crime scene itself was there wasn't much to get off of it the gun was not left at the scene the gun did not match any of the guns that eli had for hunting all the ones he had were either too small or too large Mm -hmm. so there was no no matching gun or no similar gun on the farm and the scene had been so contaminated by all the kids Mm -hmm. like kind of tugging on her body and stuff like that trying to so there wasn't much that you could really get from the scene itself. So this case really relied very heavily on the tech trail 
So the text message from Barbara Raber to Tabitha about the gauge of the shotgun was apparently enough for the sheriff deputies to get search warrants for both Barbara Raber's home as mm-hmm. well as all of her technology. And they already had that for Eli Weaver. The problem was is that all this is happening in pretty tight succession. Barbara Weaver was found on June 2nd. And by now we're talking about like June 7th. All of this Mm -hmm. has kind of gone down in just a matter of a couple of days. So back in those days, phone companies couldn't keep texts for that long. They were only saved for like three to five days. So when they got that search warrant, they had to like harass Verizon to be like, please, we need this right now, like before they disappear. And even though it was 2009, like text message evidence was still not something that commonly used, right? Yeah. So the text messages between Eli and Barb Raber would tell a pretty jarring story. I love when people leave a paper trail. I know, especially a text message trail. Especially with their Amish. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, what the heck, dude? So... Eli often would bring up to all of his girlfriends poisoning Barbara. I think mm-hmm. that he probably thought that was, like, really easy and untraceable. Mm-hmm. So he would always ask for advice about, like, what about rat poison? What about ant poison? What about all this kind of stuff? God, this guy's fucking okay. Yeah, he's disgusting. So, you know, he's getting all these rides from Barb Reber and... They did have an off-again, on-again sexual relationship, Mm -hmm. which I believe was not so much out of, like, an authentic desire to be in that relationship for Eli Weaver. I think it was about the manipulation, because Barb Raber was definitely somebody who was, like, desperate for his attention. Mm -hmm. And it was somebody, I think he really craved power. I think he really craved being admired. So the fact that, like, she was somebody who was never, at least based on his prior knowledge, was never somebody that was going to, like, call him out, like Sherry or, like, Tabitha. Especially after Sherry did it. Yeah. He needs somebody to feel powerful over. Exactly. And that was Barb Raber. Mm -hmm. So they would exchange basically dozens of text messages. And I'm going to read you some of those. On the morning of May 31st, which is obviously just a couple of days before Mm -hmm. Barbara Weaver was shot, he says, Good morning. Any ideas how we could do it Tuesday morning? Barb, I was thinking. Eli, thinking of what? Barb, I was thinking of diff ways. Eli, tell me. Then later, that afternoon, because she didn't respond right away, was just curious, what are you thinking of for Tuesday? Barb, don't know. Be kind of hard with the kids there. Eli, yeah, it would, but we know they would go straight to heaven if it would happen that way. Barb, I know. Eli, just blow up the house or something Tuesday morning. Or come do her tonight. Oh, my God. Okay, keep going. Barb, I heard ya. Eli, okay, thought you might be ignoring me. I don't care at all how it's done. Just do it. Later that night. She's going to wash again at 5 in the morn, and I want you to do something in the morn. Barb, please. Barb, I'll see what I can come up with. Eli, tomorrow morning, babe, okay? Barb, what if I get caught? (sighs) Late evening on June 1st. So now we're another day. Barb, Ed's off tomorrow, so now what? Ed, her husband being home, is kind of a problem. Eli, why the fuck is he off? Tell him you have to haul somebody, please. Eli, 
Please, Barb. She says, what time are you leaving? As in, what time are you leaving on your fishing trip? Eli, three in the morning. Barb, is he picking you up first or Dave? I am so scared. What if I get caught? What if someone blames me? Eli, (laughs) who would see you? Who would blame you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. She says, don't know. David Weaver, who was a neighbor, not related, just everyone's got the same names. Eli, not if we do it this way, he won't know. Don't tell Ed you're leaving. Maybe you can sneak out and back in. Barb, do you want me to be there before you leave? And he never answered. Early morning, June 2nd. I should just do it now. How am I supposed to see in the dark? Damn, Eli, I don't know if I can. It's too scary. Eli, good morning. The bottom door (laughs) is open. (laughs) Like, what? Uh... Barb, you have no idea how I feel? Question mark. Eli, take a light with you. Mwah! He spells that out, that sound. Um, Barb, I'm so scared. Where are you? Eli, we're in Worcester. Just don't lose anything. Barb, do you think I can drive in behind the pines? Eli, yes. June 2nd, afternoon, after it's been done. Barb, Whatever you do, don't give them your phone, please. If someone gives the cops your number, they can trace it down. The only way they can't is if the number is changed. And that's exactly what she did. She got everybody new phone numbers. Thinking that that would just wipe the trail. It's so cringy and so, like... I I am speechless. What the fuck? Yeah. You know what it reminds me a little bit of is the Gypsy Road Bland gypsy rose blanchard case yeah yeah she was like texting with her boyfriend back and forth and it was almost kind of like cutesy the way that they were talking about like killing her mom and it's like you couldn't tell if they were actually being serious yeah like it was like so cutesy and immature and role play mm-hmm. yeah totally that's the way to put it but this is just so disconnected from yeah. any emotion yeah. Like, Eli just has no... It's like, hey, there's a dead rat under the stairs. Could you just get rid of it? Basically, yeah. What, basically, we know, time frame-wise, is that that text where he told her that she could park behind the pine trees came through at 447, mm-hmm. and the kids found Barbara at about 8 o'clock. So, the the approximation is at about five o'clock in the morning was when she snuck in and shot Barbara at close mm-hmm. range with a shotgun, that 410 gauge shotgun. So obviously they were apprehended quite quickly. So mm-hmm. both Eli and Barb were taken into custody right away. And uh, when Barbara Raber was arrested, she was taken into custody And she asked for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the police questioned her without that lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time that she actually was able to get a lawyer, she told a different story. Kind of like, I don't know what happened. It wasn't me, yada, yada sort of story. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, it's a problem that she was questioned without her lawyer's present. But the digital paper trail said everything that needed to be said right yeah exactly and like i said before like the 
the technology forensics made this case entirely. Mm-hmm. So basically, Barb Braber stood trial for the actual murder of Barbara Weaver. And Eli stood trial for the conspiracy to commit. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, the the tech paper trails were what was drawn out. In the case with Eli, it was the text messages as well as his internet search record, which included such things as, where can I get strychnine poison? Can the insecticide tempo kill a human being? What poisons kill humans? How to kill yourself with poison? How much lie can kill a person? Fastest poison to kill a person. Fastest way to kill someone. Kill yourself pills. Ten best ways to kill yourself. Effective methods poison. Rat poison suicide. How much rat poison will kill a person? So that sheds new light on why he was so obsessed with poison. Because Mm -hmm. he thought he could set it up as a suicide, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, But at the end of the day, he did not want to do the dirty work himself and set Barb Raber up to do it manipulating her because she cared for him so much she even would go on to say in the string of text messages right after the ones i read like i just don't want to lose you i just don't want to lose you so we have to cover our tracks but verizon came through and was able to get those text messages (laughs) so that we could use them in court (laughs) thank you verizon (laughs) so at the end of the day and i'm gonna skip through some of the judicial stuff because in this case it was pretty open and shut like, I was going to say, those. once you got those text messages, what else do you need? Yeah, exactly. There was just nothing left to, to find. The only problem was, where was the gun? Mm-hmm. So the search warrant on Barbara Raber's home did not yield guns matching that caliber. What did, however, was Eli's store. And his <laughs> store was missing. <laughs> right. The gun had made its way back to the store, but he was one bullet short in his stock. So there you have it, right? I'm I'm honestly impressed that they kept such good records. There's I know, right? <laughs> like pretty terrible person in many ways, but um one thing he did was keep some pretty solid records. <sighs> Thank God for dumb criminals. I know. I know, right? And again, like, the crazy thing is, like, from crime committed to investigation to trial to sentencing, we're not looking at a very long time span Mm -mm. at all. So Barbara Weaver was shot dead in the early morning of June 2nd, 2009. By October 1, 2009, Barbara Raber was sentenced. Nice. Yep. And she was sentenced to 23 years to life for her role in Barbara's murder. Swift justice, man. Yeah, right. Eli Weavers was pretty much just as fast. What kind of punishment do you think he ought to get? Um, so when I looked up pictures of him, I got a sneak peek at his sentence. So oh. I think he deserved more than he got. Yeah. So uh, for all you guys out there wondering what he got, he got 15 years for orchestrating basically the plot against his wife. Uh, not enough. I'm sorry, not enough. not enough. So both are currently in prison to this day, serving out their sentences. Barbara Raber has kept a pretty low profile. Uh, Eli, not so much. He uh, is still trying to find his way into the hearts of women everywhere. 
via his profile on writeaprisoner.com, which, which in general, I think is a really wonderful cause because but not for this guy <laughs> yes because people are lonely but not for this guy um here's what his profile says hi my name is eli i'm 40 years old 6'3 210 pounds and i'm hoping to find someone to talk to it can get rather lonely in here i'm a small town country boy and i'm an avid outdoorsman <laughs> hunting fishing and camping i also enjoy playing sports softball basketball and volleyball before my incarceration i worked in construction and up until the last couple of years i had my own hunting and fishing store I've been doing mostly maintenance work here in prison. I enjoy working with my hands and building new things. I've also been able to learn about honeybees and how to take care of them. Who would have thought one could be able to do that in prison? I'm currently enrolled in a prison fellowship academy, taking classes on Celebrate Recovery, Inside Out Dad, Alpha Program, Life's Healing Choices, and Conflict Resolution. I'm trying to be a better man walking out these doors than I was walking in. I'm also a fitness instructor and teach a couple workouts as well. I would like to one day have my own gym. I'm hoping to hear from you. He is a Virgo. <laughs> he, let's see. That's pretty much the only interesting thing that he says about himself otherwise. So, yeah, he is. So, he's very much learned his lesson and is oh, obviously, and Obviously. Yeah. So, his earliest release date is chillingly the anniversary of Barbara Weaver's death. His earliest possible release date is 6-2-2024. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's not fair. Mm-mm. It's really And that's not. only three years away. Yeah, and he'll be like 45. Oh, so he was young when this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's currently 41. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Everybody was young. Barbara Weaver was... 30. Eli was one year younger than her. Barbara Raber was quite a bit older. I believe she was in her 50s. I was going to say Barbara Raber looked a lot older. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of outside of Eli's type. But again, like I think he was kind of operating with who he could manipulate. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's the case of Eli Weaver and the fact that he is a terrible person. God, he sounds like a terrible person who has not learned a single fucking thing. Nope. Not even one single thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. On that, like, write a prisoner website, do they have to mention what they're incarcerated for at all? Um, they give incarceration information. Yeah, you can see the crime. Okay. Because I do think that it's a good idea for, like, low-level criminals that do get lonely. And, like, they are going to, like, be released. And sadly, he's going to be released. But. Yeah. Yeah, no. Just the fact that, like, he's going to be out so soon. Because all he got was conspiracy to commit. Which, Mm -hmm. like, is obviously a very serious crime. But only comes with a 15-year sentence. So. That's one of those things, like. And I don't know much about Barb Raber, but chances are she probably would not have killed somebody if she hadn't had been egged on no, and pushed. No, no, no. Yeah, no. And he not. will be released and she won't. Correct. Yeah. And yeah, because she was sentenced to 23 to life and she wouldn't have, it seemed to me like she and her husband Eddie both we're very gullible people. Like, mm-hmm. Eddie would believe whatever Barb said 
And Barb would believe whatever Eli said. So Eli had all the chess pieces in play that he needed mm-hmm. to get this done and come out relatively unscathed. Like in the grand scheme of things, he's going to come out of prison at 44 to 45 years of age, still with his looks, still with his like sense of manipulation and terribleness. And who knows what he's going to do when he gets out. And probably straight into the English world like he wanted. Exactly. He's not going to go back to the Amish. No, I think it's safe to say he's probably banned now. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's my case. What do you think? I hate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I worked really hard. (laughs) (laughs) What a good friend. Uh, I hate Eli Weaver. Yeah, as you should. I love you. Thank you. And it was an excellent case. I'm just... Yeah, he's terrible. He is so terrible. (sighs) Yeah. So there you have it, friends. People like that just kill me. It's like... You have no reason to kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it really was just like, it's the, I hate to use the phrase like easy way out because it's so Mm -hmm. dopey, but that's what it was. Like he was too cowardly to leave the Amish Mm -hmm. life. He should have seen the writing on his wall for himself when he was in Rumspringa. Like -hmm. he chose to go back, just like Sherry said, like. It's not like you didn't have a choice. Like, they gave you a choice, you know? Yeah. Well, and, like, yes, I know that it's hard to leave, like, the Amish culture, but, like, Mm -hmm. you still could have. Yeah, and he wanted to. That's the thing. Like, when he talked about his Rumspringa, like, he was split, and he came back. And he was not yet married to Barbara when he was on Rumspringa, obviously. So the stakes were a lot lower to leave Mm -hmm. when he had the chance. The stakes are always lower than murdering your wife and mother of was it four children or five? Five children. One baby. Five children. Any stakes are lower than that. Exactly. Exactly. And the sad part to me about this case is like, you know, we have the information that we have and that's it. We don't know the aftermath. Like, how are the kids doing? How are the families? Because that information... Mm-hmm it gets sucked right back into its community of origin. Like, we don't have access to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So on that depressing note, tell us about next week. So speaking of very young, very awful people, Mm. next week we will be traveling out to Nebraska. Very good. And we will be covering maybe one of the youngest serial killers. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you anything. If I was you, I would go into the notes and cheat and look, but I'm not going to because I'm too You can. You can go look up the name. I'm not going to. I'm not going That's to. That's fine. I just look up <laughs> names. I don't look up anything else. I know. I know. I just want to know if I know who they are. But, gotcha. yes. Next week, we're going to talk about a serial killer. We're going to... Spend most of our time in Nebraska, but we're going to spend some time up in Maine. So our new, yeah, our New Englanders are going to get a little visit. I love that. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. So come back for that, friends. Yeah. And in the meantime, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed this Amish telenovela. Yeah, right. And, you know, until we meet again, hang out with us on the socials. Midwretched everywhere. We'd love to hear from you. 
We have had nice reviews about us. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying we've had kind of a boom lately. Yeah, I know. I kind of love it. It's just been really nice. So welcome, (laughs) new friends. Yay. Um, Because there are a lot of new friends now, and that's cool. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. New friends make me nervous, but I guess it's a good thing. It's a good thing, and we hope that you stay. Yeah, we do. For sure. Yeah. So uh, do you have anything else you need to say as we send off? Nope, I don't think so. Um, Come back next week. Write nice reviews. Be good to each other and yourself. Yes, and yourself. Think of me as I move. Oh, yeah. I'll be thinking of you. It's going to be a task. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right. Everybody wish Tommy a happy move. And by the time you hear from us again, she will be in a new old creepy farmhouse. Yay. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. So until then, be nice. Eat cheese. And we We love love you. You. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. By the way, I had a sex dream about Prince last night. I felt like you needed to know that. <laughs> That's very lucky. Yeah. How was it? Yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> it was very good.